Good morning. It's good to see you all out this morning. We've got uh, a lot of our number, as is the time of year, traveling, and um, we also have a lot of visitors with us as a result of some travels, and it's great to see you. We have some of our college students that are back home. It's great to see you all. And as always, whether it's a handful or whether it's hundreds, it's always a blessing to be able to assemble on the Lord's Day and to worship Him as God's people. I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 25 this morning. We're going to begin there in just a moment by reading a story that is probably familiar um, to to some of you, uh, to our children. They study this story as they go through their Bible class curriculum. It's, It's the middle, so to speak, of the story of Jacob and Esau, maybe even more towards the beginning of their story. Jacob and Esau were brothers, twins. And there was strife between them from the very beginning. Before they were even born, they were wrestling with each other in their mother's womb. And that strife continued on throughout their lives and even, as God says, in generations to come. But there is one particular story that I want us to focus on this morning. Esau was the older of the two. He was the one born first. And as such... He had the right to a birthright from his father. And there were a lot of of stipulations under the old law about how inheritance and blessings were to be handled. And as the older brother, he was entitled to a greater portion of those things. However, we're going to talk this morning about an impulsive decision that Esau made and the consequences that came with that impulsive decision. Let's read this story together, beginning in verse 29 of Genesis chapter 25. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way, thus Esau despised his birthright. Think about the situation that Esau found himself in. He was a hunter by trade. He'd been out in the field hunting, apparently for a long period of time, and also apparently with no success. And he came in from all of that work and all of that effort, and he was hungry. And here's his brother who's cooking this delicious stew. And Esau's like, hey, I... I'm hungry, can you feed me some of this stew that you're making? And Jacob capitalized on Esau's situation. And certainly Jacob is to blame, and there is sin in Jacob's life that can be dealt with in another sermon perhaps. But this morning I want to talk about the decision that Esau made in that moment. I don't know exactly what his physical condition was, It doesn't seem as if he was literally on the verge of starving to death. But he was certainly hungry. And he allowed those impulses 
to drive the decision that he made. All of us face the challenge of being ruled or governed by impulse at one time or another. I have on the screen behind me, impulse just means a sudden and strong, unreflective desire to act. An unreflective desire to act. You're not thinking about the consequences of your decision. You're not thinking about how it might affect other people. You're not even thinking about how it might affect you at any point in the future. You simply have an urge to act, and without thinking, without focusing on the consequences, you move forward and you act on those impulses. That's what we see Esau doing here. And I want to suggest to you that it's a real danger that all of us have to battle as well. There are countless ways in which we, like Esau, can become someone who is controlled and governed by impulse. We can do it in a variety of different ways. We can do it in our careers. I want to be successful, and therefore, whatever I have to do to get ahead, day by day, decision by decision, I'm just pushing forward. And I don't care what the consequences are. I'm moving forward. I have a desire for success. And in that moment, if that means cheating, if that means stepping on someone to get ahead, so be it. That's someone being ruled and governed by impulse. A strong, unreflective desire to act. Maybe a bit more lightheartedly, around the holidays, how many of us have made impulsive decisions to eat something or an amount of something without thinking about the consequences of that? We've probably all made impulsive decisions around that, and with the holidays in front of us, we may make some more of those impulsive decisions. <laughs> Well-timed, Kevin. Now, that should tell us that there are both consequential impulsive decisions and there are less consequential impulsive decisions. I want us to focus, obviously, on the ones that carry a great deal of weight with them. Esau's impulsive decision carried a great deal of weight and consequence with it. I want you to think about some of the impulsive decisions that we may make that carry a great deal of consequence. Sexual desires that lead to impulsive decisions. Feeling anger and lashing out impulsively. These types of decisions are far more consequential and far more meaningful than having an extra cookie when we should say no. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to I establish the point at the very outset that allowing impulses to rule our lives is not only unhealthy, is not only frowned upon generally, but it is, in fact, ungodly. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, as Paul writes to Timothy, and he warns of these perilous times that are going to come, listen to what he says beginning in verse number 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, nowhere in there is specifically the word impulsive used, but when you see things like lovers of themselves without self-control, headstrong, lovers of pleasure, these are characteristics of impulsive individuals that are driven by their desires in the moment, that are not thinking about or don't care about the consequences that may come with their decisions. Those are dangerous individuals. Those are ungodly individuals. It represents a very physical and short-sighted mindset that is completely absent of self-control and self-discipline, two key elements of being a godly and righteous individual. And we live in an impulse-driven world. Everywhere we look, we see that celebrated, we see that encouraged. Whatever looks good, whatever feels good, whatever helps you in the moment, act, do, take. So I want to ask you this morning, what happens if we allow ourselves to be ruled by impulse. What does it look like for us? What happens within us if we give ourselves this type of decision-making, if we allow impulses that we feel and experience to rule us? Well, the first one that I think we see very clearly with Esau is we begin to devalue things of actual importance. Esau's birthright was important But what does the scripture say about how he felt about it in that moment? He despised it. He lost all value for what was truly important because he was being ruled by his impulses. I mentioned just a moment ago about some of the very dangerous and severe consequences that can come through some of the impulsive decisions that we make. I want to take a moment just to to ask you to think very specifically about one, one temptation in that category. Think about sexual temptation that we face. For, for young people specifically, for a moment, the sexual desires and temptations that you face will drive you to make impulsive decisions if you haven't trained yourself to be self-disciplined and to have self-control around those things, but above all of that, to value sexual purity. Allowing ourselves to make impulsive decisions, specifically sexually, means that we are devaluing what God has deemed valuable, and that is sexual purity and a sexual relationship that awaits you and a spouse. Impulsive decisions wreak wreak havoc in our brains as it challenges the way that we see value. Even as married couples, we have to constantly remind ourselves of the value in the sexual relationship that God has created for us and our spouse. And acting on impulse when it comes to some of these temptations leads us to devalue that relationship. 
We have to be constantly disciplining ourselves, training ourselves, and reminding ourselves to value what God deems valuable. And acting impulsively does the exact opposite of that. It's not just in sexual temptation, but when it comes to things like family time, how often can we act impulsively that takes us away from our family and turns our attention to other things? We are devaluing the time spent with family as we act impulsively and allow those decisions to pull us away from our families. Lives have been ruined because of impulsive decisions to take part in drug activity or alcohol abuse. Those types of impulsive decisions in the moment without thinking about the consequences have destroyed countless number of lives. And in those moments, we are devaluing a life of sobriety and a life of holiness that God has given to us and prepared for us. We cannot allow ourselves to fall victim to devaluing these things because of our own impulses. Secondly, we'll also find ourselves, as Esau did, making erratic decisions and behaving recklessly. And in the situation that we read with Jacob and Esau, it makes Esau, and it will make us also, vulnerable to those who are cunning and are lying in wait to destroy those who act on impulse. Acting this way erratically and recklessly flies in the face of the peaceful and quiet life that God wants us to lead. There's another great example of this in the Apostle Peter. He is a man who at times in his life could be described as impulsive. He struggled with some of these things. Perhaps none more famous than in John chapter 18 as Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. After just telling his apostles what was going to happen and even warning Peter specifically about the decisions that he would make. And Peter told Jesus, nope, I got this. You don't have to, everybody else might fall away, everybody else might stumble, but, but I won't. Hours later, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, as soldiers come to arrest him, Peter draws his sword and he strikes one of the high priest's servants. Acting recklessly in that moment. If it wasn't for Jesus, Peter too would have been killed right there. Erratic behavior because he was allowing his impulses to drive his decision making. He wasn't thinking through what Jesus had told him. He wasn't thinking through the consequences of what could happen in that moment. I want you to compare that decision to 1 Peter chapter 5. And this ties in with the next point about being worrisome if we allow impulse to rule and govern our decision making. So think about all of the challenges that Peter faced and some of the impulsive decisions that he made. But then years later, as he writes First Peter, listen to what he says beginning in verse number 6 of First Peter chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That's the same man that impulsively drew his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, who is able to write these words as he is now able to reflect on some of the decisions that he made and realize that the reckless behavior, the erratic decisions, the worrisome nature that he experienced in that moment can all be put to bed when one focuses on Christ and remains steadfast in the truth and lays their cares and their worries upon him. He was able to find freedom from all of those impulses when he laid those worries and concerns on the Father. So then let's talk about some practical ways in which we can combat this behavior. How, how do we protect ourselves from falling, from falling victim to making these impulsive decisions and some of the consequences that come with them? And I want to keep your attention on Peter for the very first one. See, go back to the story of the Garden of Gethsemane before Peter drew his sword and struck the servant. What did Jesus spend that night doing? Praying. And he even asked his disciples, you do the same, Peter being there with him. And instead of spending the night in prayer like Jesus did, Peter took the opportunity to get some sleep. One of those men acted impulsively. One of those men was in complete control. What was the difference between how Jesus responded and how Peter responded? It was the way they spent that night. Prayer can be one of the most powerful tools at our disposal to combat the temptation of making impulsive decisions. I have to wonder if Peter's actions in that time would have been different had he followed the example of his Savior and spent that evening in prayer. Another way in which we can combat this is what we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the importance of practicing self-discipline. In that passage that, that was read for us, just a couple of things to call out. We're not going to go back and read that. But that passage talked about walking prudently when you enter the house of God. Don't be rash with your mouth. Don't utter anything hastily before God. It's speaking to the importance of self-discipline. Specifically in that instance, discipline yourselves as you approach God. Discipline yourselves as you go into the house of God. See, here's the beauty about this. If we train ourselves in self-discipline in one area, those skill sets will translate to other areas of our lives. So practice self-discipline. Practice it in different areas of your life and watch as overall you become a more self-disciplined person. One that doesn't act hastily. One that doesn't speak rashly 
one that doesn't make decisions without thinking about the consequences of them. This is why God sees self-discipline as so important. Because these principles apply to all areas of our lives. We need to practice prudence, practice discernment, train ourselves in the ways of wisdom, and in doing so, teach ourselves to be disciplined and actively combat impulsiveness. And then lastly, I want to ask you, when in those moments, when in those temptations, or even in the way of preparing yourself for those Train ourselves to ask the question, how will this impact me? And how will this impact others? How will the decision that I'm about to make impact me? What, what consequences may come with this decision? I talked about the sexual temptations that face us. How many of those decisions that wreck people's lives could be avoided if a question like this was asked prior to making a decision, prior to acting on those sexual impulses? How is what I'm about to do going to impact me? How is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect others? How is it going to affect my relationship with God? How is it going to affect the relationship with my future spouse? How many times could those detrimental decisions, those impulsive decisions, be avoided if a question like this was asked? Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 3. He said, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be impulsive. Don't make decisions without considering the consequences first. Why? Because this is the mindset that was in Christ Jesus. When we think about the life that Christ led, every decision he made was focused on his ultimate goal. Every decision that he made was focused on being obedient to his Father. Every decision he made was in the best interest of others. There is nothing about Christ that signifies someone being governed by impulse. Christ was someone governed by purpose. Christ was someone governed by discernment. And we can see the kind of decisions that he made as a result of that. As we conclude this morning, I hope all of us will give some consideration to the way that we approach decision making, the way that we approach temptations that may come our way, and the preparation that we put in in advance of being faced with some of those temptations to prepare ourselves not to act out of impulse, but instead to act from a place of purpose, looking towards the ultimate prize that lies ahead and making decisions that move us closer to the Father 
every single day of our lives. You know, one of the biggest decisions that we are faced with, let me rephrase that, the biggest decision that we are faced with is whether or not we are going to give our lives to Christ. Whether or not we are going to let his blood cleanse us of our sins. Whether or not we are going to follow him in this life. It is the biggest decision that we will make. Do not make that decision impulsively. Christ even warns about that. Don't don't follow me without considering the consequences of doing so. Don't make that decision impulsively. But when reason and discernment and wisdom is applied to that decision, the only conclusion that we can come to is that following Christ and giving our lives to him is the best thing that we can do. There is nothing this side of eternity, nothing this side of eternity, that can do good, more good for ourselves and for others than choosing to be a follower of Christ. And so, as we conclude this morning, I want all of us to consider where we stand before our Father. Does he look down on us and see someone who is ruled by impulses? See someone who is making decisions all about self, all about the short term, all about the physical? Or does he look down on you and see someone governed by self-discipline, led by purpose, and following in the footsteps of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're ready to make that decision to follow Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd love to help you do that. Or if you're here this morning and you've done that in the past, but you take inventory of some of the decisions that you've made and you realize that you have allowed impulse to rule your life and that has led you away from Christ, we're here ready to help you come back to him, to pray for you, to help you as you make the changes in your life to bring you back to Christ. Whatever you need, however we can help, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.